20. A change of garments suitable to the various seasons. For a long time everything went on riotously and prosperously. We visited the theaters, the coal hole, the cider cellars, and the saloon, and became such ardent admirers of the Waterford system of passing a night and morning, that scarcely a day came without a draft upon the treasury for that legal imposition upon the liberty of the subject the five shilling fine, besides the discharge of promissory notes as compensation for trifling damages done to the heads and property of various individuals. About a month after the formation of our association we were all suffering severely from thirsty headaches, produced, I am convinced, by the rapid consumption of thirteen bowls of whiskey punch on the preceding night. The rain was falling in perpendicular torrents, and the whole aspect of -of out-of-door nature was gloomy and sloppy. When we were alarmed by the exclamation of Joseph Jones a relation of the Welsh Joneses, who officiated as our treasurer, and upon inquiring the cause, were horror-stricken to find that we had arrived at our last ten-pound note, and that the landlord had sent an imperative message, requiring the immediate settlement of our back rent. It is impossible to paint the consternation depicted on every countenance, already sufficiently disordered by previous suffering and biliary disarrangement. I was the first to speak, for being the son of a shabby genteel father, I had witnessed in my infancy many of those schemes to erase the needful to which ambitious men with limited incomes are so frequently driven, I therefore bid them be of good heart, for that any pawnbroker in the neighborhood would readily advance money upon the superfluous wardrobe which we possessed. This remark was received with loud cheers, which, I have no doubt, would have been much more vehement but from the fatal effects of the whiskey punch. The landlord's claim was instantly discharged, and after several pots of strong green tea, rendered innocuous by brandy, we sallied forth in pursuit of what we then ignorantly conceived to be pleasure. I will not pause to particularize the gradual diminution of our property, but come at once to that period when, having consumed all our superfluities, it become a serious subject of consideration. What should next be sacrificed? I will now proceed to make extracts from our general diary, merely premising that our only attendant was an asthmatic individual named Peter. December 2nd, 1808. Peter reported stock eight coats, eight waistcoats, eight pairs of trousers, two ounces of coffee, half a quarter loaf, and a ha single quote p single quote orth of milk. The eight waistcoats required for dinner. Peter ordered to pop accordingly proceeds seven s sixty. Invested in a small leg of mutton and half and half. December third. Peter reported stock coats item, trousers item a mutton bone rent due a coat and a pair of trousers ordered for immediate necessities lot strong jones the victim moved the court to grant him his trousers as his coat was lined with silk which would furnish the trimmings rejected peter popped the suit and jones went to bed all signed in undertaking to redeem jones with the first remittance from the country proceeds forties paid rent and dined on a lumo beef and potatoes beer limited to a one quart peter hinted at wages and was remonstrated with on the folly and cruelty of his conduct. December 4th, Peter reported stock seven coats, seven pairs of trousers, and a gentleman in bed. Washerwoman called gave notice of detaining linen unless settled with two coats and one pair of trousers ordered for consumption. Lots drawn Smith the victim for coat and trousers brown for the continuations only. Smith retired to bed brown obtained permission to sit in a blanket. Proceeds of the above. 38s. Both pairs of trousers having been receded, Jones very violent, declaring it an imposition, and that every gentleman who had been repaired, should enter himself so on the books, the linen redeemed, 
leaving nothing for dinner. December 5th, Peter reported stock for coats, and five pairs of trousers, account not agreeing. Peter was called in found that Williams had bolted Jones offered to call him out, if we would dress him for the day Smith undertook to negotiate preliminaries on the same conditions Williams voted not worth powder and shot in the present state of our finances, a coat and two pair of continuations ordered for supplies lots drawn Black and Edwards the victims, Black retired to bed, and Edwards to a blanket proceeds, twenties, Jones, Smith, and Black. Petition for an increased supply of coals agreed to. Dinner. A large leg of mutton and baked potatoes. Peter lodged a detainer against the change, as he wanted his hair cut and a box of vegetable pills so he said. December 6th. Peter reported stock three coats, three pairs of trousers, quarter of a pound of mutton, and one potato. Landlord sent a note remonstrating against using the beds all day, and applying the blankets to the purposes of dressing gowns. Proposed. In consequence of this impertinent communication, that the payment of the next week's rent be disputed carried Nem, Con, a coat and a pair of trousers ordered for the day's necessities Peter popped as usual proceeds, tens, sixty, Coles bought ditto a choir of paper, and the etsets, for home correspondence, Blue Devils very prevalent, December 7th, Peter reported stock two coats, two pairs of trousers, and five gentlemen in bed. Smith hinted at the beauties of Burke. Peter brought a note for Jones. Everybody in Ixtacky Jones's jolly old uncle from Glamorganshire had arrived in town. Has a safe for a 20L. Musker that's myself volunteered his suit. Jones dressed and off in a brace of shakes caught Peter laughing found it was a hoax of Jones's to give us the slip would have stripped Peter. Only his clothes were worth nothing calculated the produce of the remaining suit at buttons. A breakfast. Two sleeves. One pint of porter. Body. Four plates of a la mode, trousers at per leg, half a quarter loaf, caught an idea, wrote an anonymous letter to the landlord, and told him that an association had been formed to burt Colonel Sithorpe his lodgers the conspirators that the scheme was called the Liabed Plot, poverty with his lodgers all fudge men of immense wealth get rid of them for his own sake old boy very nervous, having been in quad for smuggling gave us warning couldn't go if we would, landlord redeemed our clothes, ha, ha, did him brown be above is a statement of what I suffered during my minority. I have now the honor to be a magistrate and a member of parliament. The rich old buffer, a maiden lyric, urge it no more. I must not wed one who is poor. So hold your prattle, my lips on love had ne'er been fed. With poverty I cannot battle. My choice is made I know I'm right who wed for love starvation suffer. So I will study day and night to please and win a rich old buffer. Romance is very fine. I own. Reality is vastly better, I'm twenty past romance is flown to Cupid I'm no longer debtor. Wealth, power, and rank I ask no more let the world frown. With these I'll rough her give me an equipage and four. Blood bays, a page, and rich old buffer. An opera box shall be my court. Myself the sovereign of the women, their mustached loungers shall resort. Whilst elsewhere or the stage is skimming. If any rival dare dispute the palm of tongue. My set shall help her, I'll reign supreme. Make envy mute. When once I wed a rich old beautiful, the heart, the feelings, shaw. For naught they go. I grant, though quite enchanting in Valentine's by schoolgirls wrought, nonsense. By me they are not wanting. A note. And, as I live, a ring. Pity the sad suspense I suffer. All's right. I knew to book I'd bring old brown. I've caught a rich old buffer. Philanthropy. Fine writing and fireworks.
a writer in a morning paper, eulogizing the licensed Gendler's fate at Vauxhall Gardens, on Tuesday evening, bursts into the following magnificent flight, which has been profanely said, like the pagan, to deify the brute, the writer will never increase the mythology, but here, that island in the royal property, while intellect and skill, together with Roman candles, exhibit their various manifestations, Charity, Eric Punch and Blue Fire, throw their benign halo over the festive scene, in the circle and Whitacombe, and not only sanctify the enjoyment, of Ham and Green's ascent, but improve, the appetite, and elevate, the gentlers, the feelings, and the skyrockets, of all who participate in it, and the sticks coming down, this island truly on occasion when every licensed gentler should be at his post, with a stretcher in waiting, Imperial Parliament. As the coming session of Parliament is likely to be a busy one for punch we had engaged some highly talented gentlemen expressly to report the fun in the House. The public will therefore have the benefit of all the senatorial brilliancy, combined with our own peculiar powers of description. Sithorps and Lations fly from our pen as we trace the magic word shall, for one session at least, have justice done to his sheridanic mind. Months shall be cut with a friendly hand and Peter Borthwick feel that the days of his histrionic glories are returned, when his name, and that of Fabon Swan, figured daily in the Stockholm-Kunpogis Gazette. Let any member prove himself worthy of being associated with the brilliant names which ornament our pages, and be certain we will ensure his immortality. We will now proceed to our report of the Queen's speech. My lords and gentlemen, this morn at Crocock, great Dr. Locock decided that Her Majesty had better remain at home for as read the letter he thought the opening speech would be, more honored in the breach than the observance. So here I am, to read a royal speech without a flam. Her Majesty continues to receive from foreign powers good reasons to believe that, for the universe, they would not tease her, but do wait so they could on earth to please her. A striking fact, that proves each act of us, the cabinet, has been judicious, though of our conduct some folks are suspicious. Her Majesty has also satisfaction to state the July Treaty did succeed aid, no doubt, by Napier's gallant action, and that in peace the Sultan smokes his weed, that France, because she was left out, did for a little while now bounce now pout, is in the best of humors, and will still lend us her giant, monarch of quadrille, and as Her Majesty's a peaceful woman, she hopes we shall get into a rose with no man, Her Majesty is also glad to say, that as the Persian troops had marched away, her minister has orders to resume his powers at Tehran, where he's tied in a room. Her Majesty regrets that the Chinese are running up the prices of our teas, but should the emperor continue crusty, Elliot's to find out if his jacket's dusty. Her Majesty has also had the pleasure by using a conciliatory measure to settle Spain and Portugal's division about the Doro Treaty's true provision. Her Majesty she grieves to say S contrived to get like all her predecessors, into that in Upper Canada, which, we suppose, by this time is a fact the Council knows, and what they think, or say, or write about it, you'll be advised of, and the Queen don't doubt it, but you'll contrive to make the thing all square, so leaves the matter to your loyal care, gentlemen of the House of Commons, Her Majesty, I'm proud to say, relies on you with confidence for the supplies, and, as there's much to pay, she begs to hint she hopes sincerely you'll not spare the mint, my lords and gentlemen, the public till, I much regret to say, is looking ill, for Canada and China, and the Whigs Wimber know some other prigs have left the cash so-so, but as our soldiers and our tars, brave lads, won't shell out shells till we shell out the breads, 
Her Majesty desires you'll be so kind as to devise some means to raise the wind, either by taxing more or taxing less, relieving or increasing our distress, or by increasing tuppenies to quarterns, or keeping up the price which commons shortens, by making weavers' wages high or low, or other means, but what we do not know, but the one thing our royal mistress axes, I'll that you'll make the people pay their taxes, the last request, I fear, will cause surprise Her Majesty requests you to be wise, if you comply at once, the world will own it is the greatest miracle ear known, the D.I.N.N.E.R.O.L.O.G.E. of England, man is the only animal that cooks his dinner before he eats it, all other species of the same genus are content to take the provisions of nature as they find them, but man's reason has designed pots and roasting jacks, stewpans and baker's ovens, thus opening a wide field for the exercise of that culinary ingenuity which has rendered the names of Glassy and Kitchener immortal. Of such importance is the gastronomic art to the well-being of England, that we question much if the wooden walls, which have been the theme of many a song, afford her the same protection as her dinners. The ancients sought, by the distribution of crowns and flowers, to stimulate the enterprising and reward the successful, but England, despising such empty honors and distinctions, tempts the diffident with a haunch of venison, and rewards the daring with real terrial. If charity seeks the aid of the benevolent, she no longer trusts to the magic of oratory to melt the tender soul to pity, and untie the purse strings, but, grown wise by experience, she sends in her card in the shape of a guinea ticket, bottle of wine included, and thus appeals, if not to the heart, at least to its next door neighbor the stomach. The hero is no longer conducted to the temple of victory amid the shouts of his grateful and admiring countrymen, but to the Freemasons, the crown and anchor, or the town hall, there to have his plate heaped with the choicest viands, his glass tilled from the best bins, and his health drank with three times three, and a little one in. The bard has now to experience the happiest moment of his life amid the jingling of glasses, the rattle of dessert plates and the stentorian vociferations of the toastmaster to charge your glasses, gentlemen Mr. Dionysius Dactyl, the ornament of the age, with nine times nine, and to pour out the flood of his poetic gratitude, with half a glass of port in one hand and a table napkin in the other, the Cicerone who has persuaded an enlightened body of electors to receive L10.000 decimated amongst them, and has in return the honor of sleeping in St. Stephen's, and smoking in Bellamy's, or to be less figurative, who has been returned as their representative in Parliament, receives the foretaste of his importance in a public dinner, which commemorates his election, or should he desire to express the deep sense of his gratitude, like Lord Mahone at Hertford, he cannot better prove his sincerity than by the liberal distribution of invitations for the unrestrained consumption of mud, and the unlimited ambition of foreign wines and spirituous liquors, if a renegade, like Sir Francis Burdett, is desirous of making his apostasy the theme of general remark of surprising the world with an exhibition of prostrate worth let him not seek the market cross to publish his dishonor, whilst there remains the elevated chair at a dinner table, let him prove himself entitled to be ranked as a man, by the elaborate manner in which he seasons his superanatomus is adjoined, let him have the glass and the towel the one to cool the tongue, which must burn with the fulsome praises of those whom he has hitherto decried and the other as a ready appliance to conceal the blush which must rush to the cheek from the consciousness of the thousand recollections of former professions awakened in the minds of every applauder of his apostasy. Let him have a tool to give bold utterance to the toasts which, in former years, would have called forth his contumely and indignation, and which, even now, 
he dare only whisper, lest the echo of his own voice should be changed into a curse. Let him have wine, that his blood may ride through his veins and drive memory onward. Let him have wine, that when the hollow cheers of his new allies ring in his ears he may be incapable of understanding their real meaning, or, when he rises to respond to the lip service of his fellow bacchanals, the fumes may supply the place of mercy, and save him from the abjectness of self-degradation. Murdet, the 20th of August will never be forgotten. You have earned an epitaph that will scorch men's eyes to the last a renegade. Siege of Corinth, who that possesses the least reflection ever visited a police office without feeling how intimately it was connected with the cook shop, the victims to the intoxicating qualities of pickled salmon, oyster sauce, and lobster salad, are innumerable, for where one gentleman or lady pleads guilty to too much wine, a thousand extenuate on the score of indigestion. We are aware that the disorganization of the digestive powers is very prevalent about one or two in the morning and we have no doubt the conservative friends of Captain Rees, who patriotically contributed five shillings each to the Queen, and one gentleman a chum of our own at Jean, if we mistake not a sovereign to the poor box, were all doubtlessly suffering from this cause, combined with their enthusiasm for the gallant Rees, and prop utter, or debt, how much, then, are we indebted to our cooks? those perspiring professors of gastronomy and their valuable assistants the industrious scullery maids, let not the Melbourne opposition to this meritorious class, be supported by the nation at large, for England would soon cease to occupy her present proud preeminence, did her rulers, her patriots, and her heroes, sit down to cold mud, or the villanously dressed joints ready from twelve to five, Justice is said to be the foundation of all national prosperity we contend that it is repletion that Mr. Toole, the Toastmaster, is the only embodiment of fame, and that true glory consists of a gratuitous participation in three courses and a dessert, in quest not extraordinary, great Bolluar's works fell on Miss Bassblade's head, and, in a moment, lo, the maid was dead, a jury Saturday and found the verdict plain, she died of milk and water on the brain, punches pencilings. Member VII, Napoleon's statue at the Oeologiani, the bronze statue of Napoleon which was last placed on the summit of the Grand Column at Cologne with extraordinary ceremony, has been turned, by design or accident, with its back to England, upon its lofty column stand, Napoleon takes his place, his back still turned upon that land that never saw his face, the hieroglyphic deciphered. The letters VPW scratched by some person on the brow of the statue of Napoleon while it lay on the ground beside the column, which were supposed to stand for the insulting words Van Cupar Wellington, have given great offense to the French. We had authority for contradicting this unjust explanation. The letters are the work of an ambitious common councilman of Port Soken Ward, who, wishing to associate himself with the great Napoleon, Scratched on the bronze the initials of his name VPWVILLIA and Paul Winnables. Transcriber's note, this was marked as, number three. But it is the fifth one of the series. Songs for the sentimental. Number five. Oh fly with me. Lady. My gallant destrier is as true as the brand by my side. Through flood and or moorland his master he'll bear. With the maiden he seeks for a bride. This. This was the theme of the troubadour's lay. And thus did the lady reply. Sir Knight. Ere I trust thee, look hither and say, Do you see any green in my eye? Oh doubt me not, lady, my lance shall maintain that poor careless in beauty and fame, and the bravest should eat of the dust of the plain, who would quaff not a cup to thy name, I doubt not thy prowess in list or in fray, 
for none dare thy courage belie, and I'll trust thee. Though kindred and priests say me, nay when you see any green in my eye. To political writers, and to the editor of the Times, in particular, Mr. Solomons begs to announce to a reporters of newspapers, that he has constructed, at a very great expense, several sets of new glasses, which will enable the wearer to see as small or as great a number of auditors, at public conferences and political meetings, as may suit his purpose. Mr. Solomons has also invented a new kind of ear trumpet, which will enable a reporter to hear only such portions of an harangue as may be in accordance with his political bias, or should there be nothing uttered by any speaker that may suit his purpose. These ear trumpets will change the sounds of words and the construction of sentences in such a way as to be incontrovertible. Although every syllable should be diverted from its original meaning and intention, they have also the power of larding a speech with loud cheers, or strong disapprobation. These valuable inventions have been in use for some years by Mr. Solomon's respected friend, the editor of the Times, but no publicity has been given to them, until Mr. S. had completely tested their efficacy. He has now much pleasure in subjoining, for the information of the public, the following letter, of the authenticity of which Mr. S. presumes no one can entertain a doubt. Letter from the editor of the Times. It is with much pleasure that I am enabled, my dear Solomons, to give my humble testimony in favor of your new political glasses and ear trumpet. By their invaluable aid I have been enabled, for some years, to see and hear just what sweeped my purpose. I have recommended them to my protege. Sir Robert Peel, who has already tried the glasses, and, I am happy to state, does not see quite so many objections to a fixed duty as he did before using these wonderful illuminators. The gallant Sithorp at my recommendation carried one of your ear trumpets to the house on Friday last, and states that he heard his honored leader declare, that the colonel was the only man who ought to be premier after himself. If these testimonies are of any value to you, publish them by all means. And believe me, yours faithfully, John Walter, Printing House Square, Mr. S. begs to state, that though magnifying and diminishing glasses are no novelty, yet his invention is the only one to suit the interest of parties without principle. Con, my Theodore Hook, what sentimental character does the re-elected speaker remind you of? And by Crocker, Pshaw, Lefevre, to be sure, a cruel disappointment. We regret to state that the second ball at the below fate was simply remarkable from its having gone off without any disturbance. Where were the National Guards? And satisfactory condition of foreign beef caution to Germans. A correspondent of the Times forwards the alarming intelligence that at the below races the stakes never fill. Sithorpe, the gifted Sid, ever happy at expedience, ingeniously recommends a trial of the chops. A trifle from little Tommy, to an elderly beauty. Ah, Julia. Time all tilings destroys, the heart, the blood, the pen, but come, I'll reenact young joy and be myself again, yet stay, sweet Julia, how's this thine are not lips at all, your face is plastered, and you kiss, like Fisby through a wall, prospectus for a provident annuity company, 1, the capital of this company is to consist of L0.000.001, one half of it to be vested in Aldgate Pump, and the other moiety in the Dogger Bank, two shares, that L50 each, will be issued to any amount, and interest paid thereon when convenient, three, a board, consisting of twelve directors, will be formed, but, to save trouble, the management of the company's affairs will be placed in the hands of the secretary, four, the duties of trustees, auditor, and treasurer, 
will also be discharged by the secretary. 5. Each shareholder will be presented with a gratuitous copy of the company's regulations, printed on fine fool's cap. 6. Individuals purchasing annuities of this company, will be allowed a large rate of interest on paper for their money, calculated on an entirely novel sliding scale. Annuitants will be entitled to receive their annuities whenever they can get them. 7. The company's office will be open at all hours for the receipt of money, but it is not yet determined at what time the paying branch of the department will come into operation. 8. The secretary will be allowed the small salary of L10.000 a year. 9. In order to simplify the accounts, there will be no books kept. By this arrangement, a large saving will be effected in the article of clerks. And see. 10. The annual profits of the company will be fixed at 20%, but it is expected that there will be no inquiry made after dividends. 11. All monies received for and by the company, to be deposited in the breeches pocket of the secretary, and not to be withdrawn from thence without his special sanction. 12. The establishment to consist of a secretary and porter. 13. The porter is empowered to act as secretary in the absence of that officer, and the secretary is permitted to assist the porter in the arduous duties of his situation. Applications for shares or annuities to be made to the secretary of the Provident Annuity Company. Number 1. Thieves in. Awful accident. Our reporter has just forwarded an authentic statement, in which he vouches, with every appearance of truth, that Lord Melbourne dined at home on Wednesday last. The neighborhood is in an agonizing state of excitement. Further particulars, particularly exclusive, our readers will be horrified to learn the above is not the whole extent of this alarming event. From a private source of the highest possible credit, we are informed that his lordship also took tea. Furthest particulars, great heavens, when will our painful duties end? We tremble as we write. May we be deceived, but we are compelled to announce the agonizing fact he also subbed. I express, from our own reporter on the spot. Dear sir, the dinner is fatally true, but, I am happy to state, there are doubts about the tea, and you may almost wholly contradict the supper. Second Express, I have only time to say, things are not so bad, the tea is disproved, and the supper was a gross exaggeration. N.D. My horse is dead. Third Express, hurrah, glorious news, there is no truth in the above fearful rumor, it is false from beginning to end, and, doubtless had its vile origin from some of the adverse faction, as it is clearly of such a nature as to convulse the country. To what meanness will not these eyes stoop, for the furtherance of their barefaced schemes of oppression and pillage, the facts they have so grossly distorted with their tortuous ingenuity and demoniac intentions, are simply these. A Savaloy was ordered by one of the upper servants who was on board wages, and finds his own kitchen fire. The boy entrusted with its delivery mistook the footman for his lordship. This is very unlikely, as the man is willing to make an affidavit he had just cleaned himself, and therefore, it is clear the boy must have been a paid emissary, but the public will be delighted to learn, to prevent the possibility of future mistakes, John has been denuded of his whiskers the only features which, on a careful examination, presented the slightest resemblance to his noble master, in fact, otherwise the fellow is remarkably good looking, hence two new members, by an old trimmer. It being now an established axiom that every member goes into Parliament for the sole purpose of advancing his own private interest, and not, as has been ignorantly believed, for the benefit of his country or the constituency he represents, 
it becomes a matter of vast importance to those individuals who have not had the advantage of long experience in the House, to be informed of the mode usually adopted by honorable members in the discharge of their legislative duties. With this view the writer, who has, for the last thirty years, done business on both sides of the House, and always with the strictest regard to the main chance, has collected a number of hints for the guidance of juvenile members, of which the following are offered as a sample. Hint 1. It is a vulgar error to imagine that a man, to be a member of Parliament, requires either education, talents, or honesty, all that it is necessary for him to possess is impudence and humbug. Hint 2. When a candidate addresses a constituency, he should promise everything. Some men will only pledge themselves to what their conscience considers right. Fools of this sort can never hope to be hint three. Oratory is a showy, but by no means necessary. Accomplishment in the house. If a member knows when to say, I, or, member, it is quite sufficient for lawful purposes. Hint four. If, however, a young member should be seized with the desire of speaking in Parliament, he may do so without the slightest regard to sense as the reporters in the gallery are paid for the purpose of making speeches for honorable members, and on the following morning he may calculate on seeing, in the columns of the daily papers, a full report of his splendid hint 5. A knowledge of the exact time to cry, here, here, is absolutely necessary. A severe cough, when a member of the opposite side of the house is speaking, is greatly to be commended. Cock crowing is also a desirable qualification for a young legislator, and, if judiciously practiced, cannot fail to bring the possessor into the notice of his party. Hint 6. The back seats in the gallery are considered, by several members, as the most comfortable for taking a nap on. H. 